turns out he got a diagnosis of macular degeneration and he decided he was going to walk home and see America before he went blind. I mean, I thought I was, you know, doing something. Here's a guy who's walking. And mind you, he's gone from Seattle to Kansas on foot. And so I was just asking him about, like, how he was doing it and what kind of gear he had. He said, gear? I said, yeah, like, what kind of shoes you've been wearing? Right? He said, oh, he, he said, just pointed down to, down, down to the ground. He said, I just I picked these up for $15 at the, at the Walmart. They're working just fine for me. Hey folks, Mason here. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'll keep this short and sweet. This is uh, Tamala Rich talking about road tripping across the U.S., finding it a little later in life, actually, through motorcycles. Um, you know, if y'all, if y'all have listened to this show for a while, you know that I love bike touring and bike packing. And if there's ever a day that I'm like, you know, I just don't feel like pedaling as much on this trip, I would definitely be open to a motorcycle. I've been thinking about it for years, just haven't haven't gotten one yet, just, you know, didn't want to spend the money, but uh, maybe in time I'll get a bike and then you, you can just go a lot farther and, and access a few different places that, that you can't necessarily on bike um, quite as easily. So even if you're not interested in motorcycle touring or, or road tripping in that sense, a lot of the principles still apply. You'll listen to the, the Tamla's story, how she got out there in the first place, what life changes needed to take place for her to say, you know what? It's time for me to adventure more. And sometimes that's all it takes from us. I mean, that's all we can do to break up the routine and actually get out there and adventure is some monumental life shift and change in mindset. Um, before we jump in, too, I did want to say I was recently on the Backcountry Marketing Podcast with Cole Hilborn or Heilborn. Cole, sorry, I, I actually never asked how to pronounce your last name. But more importantly, Cole is awesome. The show is Backcountry Marketing. We talk about the podcast. We talk about my job at Athletic, uh, Athletic Brewing. So if you're interested, check that out. Um, I can leave a link in the show notes for that as well. So, all right, let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Tamala Rich began her love affair with the open road as a child, traveling with her family in the Vista Cruiser wagon from Ohio to California every other summer. She rediscovered America in the wake of the personal crisis when she learned how to ride a motorcycle and took her first solo cross-country ride. Tamala learned to ride when she was 48 and three months after getting her motorcycle endorsement took off on an 18-state, 7,500-mile solo trip from North Carolina to Oregon and back. Since then, she's traveled 47 states and five Canadian provinces on her motorcycle, mostly solo. Her award-winning book, Live Full Throttle, Life Lessons from Friends Who Faced Cancer, was based on two years of cross-country motorcycling for cancer causes. Tamala, thanks for joining me. Hey, I'm happy to be here, Travis. Thank you. I'm glad to have you. Absolutely. So I read off your bio. Um, take some time and tell us more about who Tamala Rich is and how it is you got in started in riding motorcycles. <laughs> you know, uh, I had always wanted to travel. And like so many of us, you know, we, we put it off. We think, oh, I need a lot of money to be able to travel. And so we, you know, strap ourselves to these demanding jobs because they're, they're the ones that are going to make us this money. And Pretty soon, you, you know, like you have three or four weeks, theoretically, of vacation, but because you want to prove that you're a committed member of the team, you never take all your vacation and your life drains away before you and you're not traveling, you're not doing the things you want to do. And so I got to a point where I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And my dad and my brother in 2008, um, it was right when iPhones, you know, came out, like, like, like not the, you know, like the first month or anything, but like, you know, it was very, you know, close on after the, after the first iPhone iteration. And my dad and my brother 
got iPhones and motorcycles. They decided they wanted to do mail bonding and they didn't want to do something that one already knew how to do really well. They wanted to sort of learn together. And so they, they got the, they got uh, GS bikes, uh, dual sport bikes. And uh, my brother lives in Ohio and my dad at the time was living in Las Vegas. And so they met and toured, you know, all the national parks and national monuments out there. And I would get these emails from their iPhones. Like I had a flip phone at the time, you know, like, <laughs> and what was this coming through my email? You know, they, like they had, you know, videos from their phones and audio files and snaps and all this from out West. And I, and it just bit me hard. And I said, I have got to do this. So, um, I had, as, as my bio mentioned, I had a, a personal crisis and, um, a business that I had owned failed badly in the, you know, great recession. And I, I just got this, I got this earworm that said, you've got to, you've got to learn how to ride a motorcycle and take a cross country motorcycle, my motorcycle trip. It's like, are, are you a parent, Travis? Yes, I am. All right. So you remember the first time your wife was pregnant and suddenly all you saw were pregnant women on the street, right? <laughs> yes, that's what happened. <laughs> that's how it was for me. Like everywhere I looked, there were motorcycles. Like it was just totally top of consciousness and and it was relentless. Just you've got to learn to ride a motorcycle and take a cross-country motorcycle trip. And I really saw it as an opportunity to relaunch my life. I I had been um, really emotionally and spiritually and from a mental health perspective taken down with that business. I, I was suicidal at a certain point. Um, and so, it, you know, this thought of a motorcycle was the first, first like spark of life that I really had. It, it really saved my life in a way. It really gave me back a will to live. And so anyway, um, so we were broke. The business had um, taken us out financially. And so I had no money to buy a motorcycle, no money to buy gear, no money to buy a helmet, no money for gas, no money for a bike. I had no money for anything. But yet, like this very pleasant, persistent little voice just kept just kept telling me to do it. And so I... Every, so I just, just, I just put it out there and I said, okay, I'm going to, I announced like my birthday's in January. So I know it was in January sometime. I, I just started telling people, Hey, I'm going to learn to ride a motorcycle and I'm going to take a cross country motorcycle trip from North Carolina to Oregon and back. And then <laughs> I, and, I'm sure, I'm sure you had a few responses <laughs> to that. Well, people, my family, first of all, my family didn't think anything of it because they, of course, you know, knew what position we were in. And, um, you know, they just, they just thought I was, you know, daydreaming and, and that that was just fine, but they didn't think anything of it. But other, like I started asking people, do you know anyone who fill in the blank, who knows someone who could, um, help me learn how to ride or, you know, I just kept asking. So <clears throat> I was working on a book project with a friend who lives in Bend, Oregon, and he had a bunch of um, um, obscure books that I needed to, you know, get my hands on physically. They, were, they weren't available, you know, digitally. I needed to get my hands on them for this book project. And so that's why Oregon. So um, I didn't want to, you know, that's, I didn't want to fly out there. I wanted to learn to ride a motorcycle and ride out there. And so he became my first sponsor. He PayPal'd me, it was like, I think it was about $250 as as a first sponsor to take my motorcycle class at the local community college. No kidding. No kidding. And another and I didn't have money for a helmet, so another friend loaned me his motorcycle helmet. So I took my class in a lint in a borrowed helmet. And um but I did really well in the class and one thing led to another and you know I just you know I you know social media in 2010 was nothing like it is now. You know, there wasn't, you know, advertisers hadn't caught, caught on to how to use it. And 
there wasn't a lot of spamming in the stream. It was a lot of really genuine connections. And so people, like I put it out there that this was what I was going to do. And, um, and people got really excited about watching me go from zero to a cross country motorcycle trip. And so, um, you know, a connection started being made and there was a lot of enthusiasm. And, um, so after I got my, um, my endorsement, I still didn't have a bike. I still, I still didn't have anything I needed except the endorsement. So I had that, but I would just tell people, this is what I'm going to do. And do you know anybody can, who can help me and help started coming my way. So eventually the short story is eventually I got everything I needed. A, a former highway patrol officer who has a motorcycle training school here in North Carolina. He tried to talk me out of it, but when he, cause he said, well, you know, you know, take, take a year and ride, you know, take some weekend trips, you know, you can imagine a highway patrol officer has seen like every kind of grisly outcome oh, imaginable. But when right. he, but when he was determined that I was, you know, not gonna, not gonna take no for an answer, he offered me a seat in an upcoming training class. And, and he had school bikes, so I didn't have to have my own bike. And so I was able to take his class. Um, my brother, now, are you a motorcyclist? I didn't ask you this. Yeah, I've been riding since I was about nine years old. Oh, well, you know that any bike you learn on will suffer for you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. And so my brother was very kind. He also didn't want me to do this, but he said, you know what? I want you to have every advantage so he lives in Ohio, as I mentioned. I live in North Carolina. So he said, you come up here and, you know, you know, I'll put you up on one of my bikes and we'll see how you do. So I went up there and um, so he gave me training. And then this is, I hope this is inspiration for people. I learned that BMW had a, um, a training school uh, in South Carolina, about an hour and a half from me in Greer, South Carolina. That's where they have their auto assembly plant. And they have a, a museum there. They have a, a wonderful um, training facility. Facility, You can go down there and take delivery of a car. If you, if you buy a BMW, you can take delivery down there and they'll put you through a day long school. You can take longer schools if you want. You can learn how to drive like James Bond in an M car, as a matter of fact. Well, anyway, really? yeah. And so BMW made motorcycles before they ever made cars. And they have uh, an on road and off road motorcycle training program down there. So this is the inspirational part. I, I was just, you know, talking every time someone I had a conversation with someone I'd say do you know do you know anybody and so I was talking to a friend of mine and we all know somebody who knows everybody and I had this friend who fits that description and I told him hey how you been what are you up to you know that kind of thing I hadn't talked to him in a while and so I told him what I was up to and I said hey by any chance do you know anyone down in South Carolina at the BMW Performance Center I swear to God Travis he said to me Tamala I'm heading down there this afternoon. I know the manager of the performance center. Let me see what I can do for you. I'm not, oh, even, come I'm on. not even, <laughs> I am not even kidding. That never happens. Right. But it happened. So, Man, that is phenomenal. I need to know your friends. <laughs> of mine is a friend of yours officially. That's the way it rolls. Now. But anyway, so I got uh, two days of training down there and and in a very short uh, story here, I also got the bike that I needed. So um, it just, just for anybody, I know you mentioned that a lot of people listen to the podcast for inspiration. And I'm just here to say, if you want to do something, put it out there, ask for help. And sometimes if it's the right thing, unbelievable mountains get moved out of the way and the road is clear and you get a chance to pursue your dream. I did. 
Wow, that's awesome. You know, especially in this day and age, because we look around, everybody seems to be getting a deal, you know, where, you know, give me a bike and I'll ride around the world or <laughs> give me an RV and I'll go live in it. And and I think, and a lot of people would probably think, well, it's been done. Right. How? Why are they going to give it to me? They've already had, you know, 12 people walk in the door in the last week looking for the same deal. But you're proof that it really does happen if you put it out there and dream about it and work towards it, it happened. It happened. I mean, this was, I do think there's been, to your point, um, you know, this was in 2010. And I, I think, I think a lot of things have changed um, in the way of, you know, kickstarting and crowdfunding and crowdsourcing and like all these things have become more mainstream in, you know, in the five years since I did it. And, um, uh, it, there's probably more science to it now than, than I had at the time, but yeah, I, I don't let that deter you from trying, you know, like if somebody says, Oh, well, here's the way it has to be done. There's a formula, there's whatever. Okay, fine. You know, go along with the formula, but, um, don't rule out, I don't know, I guess the hand of fate, you know? Yeah, and creativity. You know, people have been doing this type of stuff for a long time, mm-hmm. long before we were around. So sure. we're not the, the first generation to invent it. You know, it's just a matter of, of opportunity and creativity, and you can still get there. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. So what kind of bike did you end up with? I have a G650GS. It's a, it's, yeah, for, for people who are familiar with motorcycles, it's a, it's a thumper. It's a dual sport single cylinder and it's carried me everywhere I've ever wanted to go. Great little bikes. You, uh, you can't kill them. Uh-uh. They will, <laughs> it, will, it will take you into the future as long as you want to go. Exactly. You know, I, uh, I do expect, um, that I can get probably another, you know, another, I, I expect I can probably get 150 to 200 out of it before it goes, you know, totally rebuild. I, I've had some work done to it. I had some, I had some some issues a couple of years ago with the uh, um, bearings in the top side of the engine, and so they had to crack the case, which God sounded like brain surgery. It was <laughs> really freaky, but but at the time, you know, when they did that, they went ahead and you know met, you know recalibrated every single thing, you know. And so it's really you know basically like a new engine, other than you know the the bearings had to and and the, a, a little little problem with the oil pressure pump. Um, but everything else was calibrated. It's in perfect working order. So I feel pretty good about it. I got a good mechanic and, um, God knows I'm not the mechanic. So I have a really good mechanic I rely on and, um, keep the, the chain oiled and, um, you know, just take it to him for all the, all the things that need to be done. I'm good to go. Right. That's all you need. So there's a saying that most of us in the motorcycle world know that you never see a motorcycle out in front of a psychiatrist. I have a pillow on my couch that says that as a matter of fact. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I bring that up because after dealing with the, uh, the issues with the failing business and whatnot, it must've been such a, um, a relief, a, a release of pressure, if you will, to, actually get out on that motorcycle and just hit the road after that. I know after a busy, stressful day, even if I only have 30 minutes, you know, being out of my motorcycle, it will take care of that. It'll wash it all away from me. But you headed out on a, you know, almost every state in the nation trip. <laughs> well, um, the, the first trip that I took was 18 states. Uh, and, you know, Travis, what was great about that, among many other things, is out on the road, nobody knew me. I mean, I could have told them I was Mavis Parsons if I'd wanted to. And you know what I mean? Like (laughs) I could have made up any story I wanted. Um, I could have told them anything about myself. Nobody knew me. Right. So that was the beautiful thing for me having come out of a very rough patch in my life. Um, I could tell people anything I wanted myself. I did not have to tell them what a train wreck I had left you know, at home, you know, what, you know, the disaster, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, I, I just sit down at a stool at a diner and say, Hey, I'm, I'm Tamla from Charlotte, North Carolina. 
um, what's good on the menu? Uh, I've never eaten here before. And, you know, just let the conversation roll. And to, to everyone I met on the road, they thought I was brave. They thought I was, you know, all these, you know, great, wonderful things. And it was really good for my self-esteem to get such positive feedback and affirmation from people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I can, uh, I can see that for sure. So many people might say you're a single woman, you're crazy to head out on the road. And I don't care if it's America. I don't care if it's a third world country, you get the naysayers. Mm -hmm. Why would you encourage people to go travel, uh, by themselves in this way? Well, you'll never experience, um, a locale or the people in the same way when you're with someone else and you're pressured, not necessarily in a bad way, but, you know, but nevertheless, you know, you want to conform and, you know, be a good traveling companion and you don't want to, you know, make them, you don't want to whine about every place you want to stop. Right. But when you're by yourself, you you know, if you see a, a piece of roadside kitsch that calls to you, you pull over if you want to linger over a meal with, you know, someone interesting, you linger, you know, it's, it's, and you learn a lot about yourself in the doing. And I want to say, we've been sold a story that nobody's trustworthy. The world is a dangerous place. Everybody wants to rape and murder you that the world's full of meth lab motels. Like, you know, like there's all these stories about, what a dangerous place the world is. And, you know, I have not traveled the entire world. Like I know some of your guests have, but I've traveled America where people feel plenty scared enough. And I have been helped. I've run out of gas. I've had my wallet stolen. I've had, I've, I've not been able to find a place to sleep at night. I mean, I've had every kind of traveler problem, you know, imaginable. And every time some, Good Samaritan has come out of the woodwork to help me out. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's great to to find that out. And I like to ask that question because I, as well as you probably, I read a lot of uh, travel books. Mm. And in exactly like you said, a lot of people are just afraid of going out and, and, and really living out there. Uh, in the world and traveling through many places that are supposed to be the worst places on earth. But every time you talk to somebody that has done it, you know, not, not somebody that just hears it on the radio, but you've talked to somebody that's done it. They're always going to come back and say, look, it's not as scary as people tell you. I got through it just fine. I met the most beautiful and most wonderful people. Mm -hmm. When I went through there, you need to go do it. So I like to reiterate that side of it. On our show, for sure. Definitely, And, you know, people, it's funny, I, I, I will say as a woman that I'm very careful not to go in, into places where my intentions may be misperceived. So, you know, I, you know, I stay, um, you know, I, I don't go to bars and, you know, you, you know, um, you know, like I said, places where my, pers- where I might be misperceived. I, you know, I stay right. in public places and, you know, play, I mean, any place where there's a crowd is going to be, you know, way more friendly than, you know, a, a, a place where there, there aren't. But, but still, I, you know, I don't know. I think we all have intuition. We all have a sixth sense for a reason. And I do, and I do listen to that. I, you know, I'm sure I've been wise to pay attention to that. Um, but I don't have anything ill to report about my experiences. Yeah, that's great. I love to hear that. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. You know, on this show, we talk a lot about the adventure, but it's honestly the time between the adventure that is most important, being adventure ready, as we say. And the most important aspect of that is knowing your body and knowing what's going on inside your body. And the most important company that can help you do that is Inside Tracker, literally tracking what's going on inside your body. Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data and provides you with a clear picture of what exactly is going on so that you can make changes to your diet or see what's going, working, what isn't. 
And how they do it is they analyze all the data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to help you optimize your body and know what's really going on. So if you'd like to learn more or get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store, go to insidetracker.com slash adventure sports. That is insidetracker.com slash adventure sports. Inside Tracker can get you ready and keep you ready for all your favorite adventure sports. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So I was perusing through your website, and one thing I realized as I was looking around at pictures and and reading what you had written, that there's a common theme on your site Mm. of happiness and contentment. And I think that's it's really important to bring that up because of the whole reason you started this whole journey. I mean, you were you were pretty down on life and whatnot. And what this has brought to you is just brought this life full of enjoyment and contentment. Would you agree with that? Oh, most definitely. Most <laughs> definitely. Um, it, it's, it's been not only the places which are, you know, I've been, I've been to some beautiful places, Travis. This is a, this country is, div, you know, the diversity. You've got deserts, canyons, rainforests mountains, plains. I mean, you've got everything. Uh, so the beauty is, um, compelling and the beautiful people and experiences are as well. The cultures, the food, I I love eating at, um, at farmer's markets when I can, um, very often I get to meet, you know, growers and increasingly at farmer's markets, you, uh, there, they offer prepared foods and you'll get regional dishes, you know, made with fresh grown, um, produce and you know food is always a great way to connect with people um there's just been so many wonderful ways to connect um if you pull yourself i think away from the the more commercialistic um uh, sides of uh travel um you know stay in motels instead of hotels you know meet the proprietor ask them you know did you grow up is this a family business did you grow up here a lot of, it's funny, a lot of times you'll, you know, you'll meet a, a proprietor who, no, I bought this five years ago, wanted to escape big city life. You know, you get to know your motel operator and um, fellow guests. It, it's just, uh, it's been a real a rediscovery of uh, America for me and um, an awakening inside of me of, of the good that's out there. And I, and, and I'm glad that as an independent reader of my blog, you, you feel that spirit because I feel it. Well, it definitely comes through. You're doing, you're doing a good job of conveying that for sure. Good for you. Uh, it's funny you bring up the <laughs> finding food, you know, across America. I, I have to bring up a, an episode I did uh, a little while back and that was with uh, Nathan Millward. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with him. No. Nathan rode a, um, over here we would call it a trail 90, uh, over in, he's from England and he picked up the bike in Australia. It was an Australian posty bike. So a hundred and, uh, uh, it was actually a 105 CC, but, uh, a, a, a 110. So little bitty bike. Yeah. So he rode that, you know, from Australia back to London, which was a, a major trip, oh, but kidding. then he went ahead and yeah, he rode it from New York city all the way up to Alaska. And I kept cringing because you know, Nathan, you know, unfortunately for him was on a budget and I can't knock him for it, but he kept talking about ducking into McDonald's and getting a coffee and some sort of burger, you know, and he needed to use their Wi-Fi. And he had a phenomenal trip. I can never knock mm. it. And I, I would like to reproduce his trip at the same time. But I was kind of chuckling when you were talking about finding the the good places to eat, the farmer's markets and whatnot. And I'm relating it back to Nathan's interview where he's ducking into McDonald's <laughs> so he can get a cheap meal and, and use their Wi-Fi. And it's uh, two completely different experiences, but both uh, awesome. Both valid. Totally valid. Yeah. There, yeah. I, I don't, I have to give him credit. I don't often find great Wi-Fi at the farmer's market. So there you go. But the, but the budget, I mean, you can, you know, you, you know, you go to a farmer's market, you can get, you know, good food, um, 
for not much, you know, and it'll be, it'll be nice and fresh. I cannot say that about, about McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Well, you talk about, uh, riding all over the country and just finding uh, great places all around little nooks and crannies and whatnot. And I, I can relate. I have been riding in the Western States, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, Utah, I mean, around here. And I still have not hit all of the good roads, even in my own state, mm. you know, in Colorado, we have a, have a five a day trip. <laughs> uh, well, we do. <laughs> I was just thinking while you're talking about it, I was thinking, well, you know, we have a five day trip. I've ridden all around Colorado. We have a five day trip coming up and we're hitting two more great highways that I have never set foot or wheel on. And I was just thinking it is, it is such an amazing opportunity to have that much space to roam when you have a motorcycle. Well, and you speak the language and you don't need a passport. Right. So, you know, America's big, you know, you, there's so there are 3.8 million square miles in America. I mean, Europe's three is basically 3.9. So, you know, go to go to Europe if you want. But, you know, there's plenty to explore here. We have every kind of ge- geographical, geological, you know, whatever climatological it's all right here and um when you you know when you ride a bike that can go off-road wow you have multiplied your options by i don't know maybe maybe tenfold over over the paved world yeah probably now i have to say i i don't go off road when i'm traveling by myself um i'm not like i'm i've admitted i'm not a capable mechanic et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I, I'll go on light gravel and maybe hard pack and, and whatever, if it, you know, if they're forestry roads or whatever, they're good roads. But, um, but I, I, I will not do that. Uh, if there's, you know, if, if I feel like it's just, you know, too risky and I might not be able to make my way out. <laughs> no, you're, power. You're absolutely right. It's uh, you, you have to go with buddies when you're off-road. In fact, a little sidebar, uh, last weekend I went up and was riding my dirt bike uh, off-road on some single track, mm-hmm. and my buddy had been up there in the morning with me and then had to go home. Um, of course, I was out there 11 miles back in the woods, and one of these things did happen. I pulled over to the side of the trail to check, and there's oil oh, dumping out the bottom of, yeah. the, of my engine. You know, I'm thinking, oh, what did I do? So long story short, it, you know, I made my, my way back, and you know, the, the same as you said, I, I stumbled upon very helpful people, uh, a couple different groups of them who helped me on my way to get my motorcycle back to my campsite and get it loaded up in my truck. And, you know, you, you do run the risk of that stuff happening, but you also run, um, I shouldn't say the risk, but you also have the opportunity to meet very helpful people and engage with them and, right. and see what their lives are all about at the same time. To, to be sure. Of course, you know, if you run out of gas in, um, in the middle of nowhere, Montana, Tana, you'll get that opportunity too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> I, that's happened to me. Um, I, I was, I was just learning how to ride. I mean, you know, like how to pace myself and uh, it was the, let me think it was my third maybe my third big road trip, um, maybe my second, I can't remember, but I, I was still, you know, fairly new at all the, you know, ins and outs of, you know, how to pace and all that. And, um, I didn't know how to properly factor in for fuel usage in high winds. And so, um, as you know, living out West, you know, the space between gas stations, um, can be, you know, profound. And so, yeah. uh, So I, um, I was in very high winds in Montana and, and I could have stopped. I didn't. And then sure enough, you know, between, you know, between gas opportunities, uh, you know, I was beside at the side of the road and, you know, Montana's, you know, not New York city. You got to sort of wait a little while before somebody comes along. And so uh, I stood in the middle of the, I saw a big truck coming, not a 18 wheeler, but a, um, uh, you know, like a, it looked like a dually that was coming. And um, so I stood out in the middle of the road he was probably half a mile away and just waved my arms to see if you know I could get him and I have to say I think I I believe one advantage of being a woman is people are probably not as afraid to stop and help me as they might be a man 
Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I waved and, and he slowed down and, um, and I wasn't sure, you know, there's, there's, it goes both ways, right? Does he want to help me? Do I want to be helped by him kind of thing? But anyways, when he slowed down and he rolled down the window and I, and he, first of all, he was in a company truck. And second of all, he was traveling with his long haired dachshund. I said, a guy who travels with a dog cannot be a bad guy. <laughs> That's good. So I told him what had happened. I said, by chance, you know, because, you know, bike doesn't require much gas at all. I said, by chance, maybe could I siphon, you know, a quart of gas or, you know, whatever, just on the road. I wasn't even ask, asking for anything you know, major. And he said, ah, jump in the truck. I know the gas station right up here. And I mean, he was, and like I said, the dog sold me on, on that. So he took me down and got gas and it, and it was down to their last, um, they were down to their last little red, um, gas can, you know, that they have for sale. And they said, you've got to bring this back because this happens all the time. You have got to bring this gas can back. I said, okay, I promise I will. So we took it back, got my, got me on the road. And the guy said, give me the gas can. I'll take it back for you. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's good people for sure. People for sure. So I heard you mention, um, somewhere about little brown signs and I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. These are the the points of interest signs. And I really connected when you were talking about that because you can go out and ride in groups and everybody kind of has to deal with whatever everybody else wants to do, like a big flock of birds, or you can ride solo and you see these little brown signs on the side of the road and there's nothing greater than <laughs> pulling off to read the sign and figure out what it's pointing to and going and finding it. Yes. Oh, God, I love little brown signs. But, you know, there is a way to travel in a group and get your own way. I did this. Uh, I traveled with a companion um, in, tw- in 2011. We traveled from New Mexico out to California, all the way up the California coast into Oregon, over to... Let me think. We went, oh yeah, we went up to the Columbia River Gorge and then made the turn east and traveled. Uh, we broke broke apart in Missoula, Montana. So we went, we did the Lolo Pass. We did all that. And the way we did that without being, be, you know, getting on each other's nerves and trampling on each other's experiences is, you know, we, we, we each you know, decided what did we want to do? How did we want to travel? And, you know, we would arrange rendezvous, you know, in the day I'd say, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And then if anything happened to either of us, we knew where the other one basically had been in the last three or four, whatever hours. And so that was a way to be safe. And at the same time, travel with a, a companion while having your own experience. It worked beautifully. Yeah, that's great. I also wanted to bring up um, a little tip from my end. Mm. The If you're out running around with a group or by yourself, there's a an app that Google runs. Um, so I don't know if it's available on the iPhone or not, but it's called um, Google Field Trip. I have and seen that, yeah. Have you? I've been out on my own. I've been out. I mean, I'm in a, a, I mean, this whole country is historical, but you know, there's a lot of things that happen in Colorado. I'll be out in the middle of nowhere and I've pulled up the app just to see what's around me. And sure enough, there'd be an aircraft museum just buried on a farm back in the middle of nowhere. And I just show up on my motorcycle and take a tour of these aircrafts and aircraft. And this, the app is great for that kind of stuff. So if you like little blue or little brown signs, pull out this app. Go out in the middle of nowhere, pull it up, and see what it points you to. There's probably something around that you around you that you've never seen and never would have seen. Oh, that is a great tip. Now I've yeah. used History Here. Have you ever used the History Here app? No. Same thing. It's put, it's put out by the History Channel people, and same thing. It'll it'll alert you wherever you are. It'll say you're one and a half miles from this, that, or the other, or it'll even tell you if you're there may not be a museum or a specific attraction per se, but they'll say you're this far from where 
George Washington's horse broke his leg or whatever. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, but you know, I, I have, I have to compare, thank you for the reminder, history here versus field trip, because I have heard of it, but I haven't tested it. Yeah, I'll do the same. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued because I, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a history buff, but I'm really interested in things that happen in the area because, you know, if you, a lot of us spend money, good money traveling away from where we live. Right. But if you just open your eyes and pay attention to what's going on around you, every little pocket and nook and cranny of this world has something really cool about it. And if you pay attention, you can learn a lot and didn't have to go very far to get it. 10-4. And, and the funny thing of it is, like, again, we're sort of related to solo travel because you can follow your nose and follow your interests, but not you don't have to be a solo traveler to have the experience of having something like this just cross your path and all of a sudden, something you had no idea existed, a topic you never knew was interesting, it presents itself and you start to follow your nose and take it deeper. Um, you may have read the post on my site where I talked about discovering FDR's little White House. Um, did you did you read that post? I haven't seen that one, no. Okay, because I talk about little brown signs. So I was, right. I was headed... I was headed home from um, Alabama. I was coming through rural Georgia, and all of a sudden I came across a little brown sign that had a left turn uh, arrow that said, FDR's little white house, 15 miles. And I vaguely kind of remembered what that was, but not really. And I said, okay, I'm in. And turns out um, that's where FDR uh, died. He died at the at the little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia. Really. And what I learned when I was there is that um, much of his domestic legislative agenda was informed by um, his having had polio. And um, back in the day, in his day, there was great hope that warm and hot springs could restore all kinds of. Um, um, people, people's ailment could, you know, could restore people to robust health from a number of different ailments, including polio. And so that's why he went to Warm Springs in the first place. This was, was before he was elected and he fell in love with the area. He fell in love with the people. He bought land and he started having this little white house built soon after he was elected. Anyway, so he, he went there every year, I think, except one during his presidency. Um, and what happened is he was what they didn't know. Now we, you know, we know that he was uh, paraplegic. Well, he had hand controls put on his uh, big Ford convertible and it was, that was his only way of experiencing true mobility. And he loved to drive that car. And so he would drive it right out into the farmer's fields. You know, he had grown up on an estate um, and he was very interested in forestry and farming. And so when he was in rural Georgia, he'd just drive that car right out onto a farmer's field or right up to a doorstep and just start chatting the people up. And that's how <laughs> he learned, like he learned that kids were working in the fields and couldn't afford to go to school. He learned that people didn't have good information about um, uh, crop rotation, all these kinds of things that was keeping the South impoverished. It cost him as much to heat. He had a uh, little white house was like 1200 square feet. It cost him more to heat and power the little white house than it did his giant estate in New York simply because there was no electricity and that's what led to the rural electrification uh, bill and the Tennessee Valley authority. All that was because, and more was because he had had polio and went to warm Springs, Georgia. Well, so I learned that. And then, <laughs> so I, like, I got really interested in everything about FDR and I went to visit um, his estate in New York and I went up to Campobello in New Brunswick, which is where he contracted polio. I, like it, it just opened up this new line of inquiry that I never knew I was interested in because I followed a little brown sign. 
Yeah, follow little brown signs and you don't know what kind of wormhole you're going to end up in. <laughs> kind of rabbit hole. That's good. I like it. Wormhole. <laughs> I like it. All right. Now I want you to tell me what it is to live full throttle. Mm. And let's talk about your book of the title. Mm. So as you know, as a motorcyclist, you always want to be on the power curve. You never, you, you need, that's where you have your maximum, uh, um, uh, uh, control and power. And some people think full throttle means high speed. No, it doesn't. It means whatever, maybe this is too technical, but whatever gear you're in, you are on it. You're giving, you're giving your bike power so that if you need to power out of a slide or power out of mud or, you know, just get out of a bad traffic situation or whatever, you've got your power in your hand. You're never like, driving along in neutral or whatever like that. So um, like I said, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going bad out of hell or fast as you can or hard as you can. It just means that you've always got power. And so um, the book, Live Full Throttle, Life Lessons from Friends Who Faced Cancer, was based on the first two years that I um, was riding my motorcycle. I found a group of Canadian and American women who we're raising money and awareness for breast cancer causes. And the way that they would do it was to bring up their bikes in pink swag. Um, so a lot of the women had big bikes, big cruisers, full baggers, you know, all that. And so they had like, you know, acres of real estate for, you know, for, <laughs> right. for all this. One, I, I didn't, I mean, you know, I've got a little dual sport bike. It's, you know, minimally, um, you know, minimal real estate, but like some of the women, oh my gosh, feather boas and one woman, she was so talented. She made a pink sequined, um, slip cover for her bike. I mean, you know, like they just really went all out. Well, I put, um, eventually, uh, I, I met up with, with, uh, the women at the rally point in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And, I just, I didn't have hardly anything on my bike and I felt like I was wearing jeans to a coronation or something, you know, that everybody else was right. all blinged up. So one of them gave me a pink bra to strap across the windshield of my bike and that's on the cover of my book. And when I did that, Travis, my whole life changed because people everywhere would see that pink bra and they didn't know anything about me and they didn't know really what I was about, but they had a clue. They had a clue that I was somehow um, sympathetic to breast cancer causes. And wherever I stopped, rest stops, scenic overlooks, restaurants, gas stations, people would approach me and they would want to tell me their story. It might have been their diagnosis. It might have been a coworker, a loved one. A lot of stories began with, I want to tell you about my mom. Because I think people have a, they, people want to talk about, you know, a loved one or maybe their personal experience. And maybe they feel that they've sort of worn out their story with people who know them. And here's a stranger who, you know, you can just tell your story to. And I was unprepared for that. And, and it was such a bounty, um, being able to hold space for people who needed someone to talk to. So I heard about not just breast cancer. I heard about a lot of different cancers. I had no, I no idea there were, there was so much. I'm not a, I'm not a medical professional, right. but um, so what I learned from these stories is that um, the first thing someone thinks when they get a cancer diagnosis is, Oh my God, I'm going to die. But Travis, that's true for all of us. And what, what a lot of, in a lot of different ways I learned is that when you get a, a diagnosis like that, if you think, okay, given where I am right now, how can I live a full throttle life, right? You might be in first gear, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, but wherever you are, how can you really live your best life right now? So they taught me a lot about living a better life because they had frankly faced their death. And so there are eight lessons, um, life lessons that I had learned from these stories that I heard on the road. And that's what I share in my book. 
Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, what a gift for for you to stumble into that oh, situation. Stumble in is right. Yeah, I mean, a serendipitous event is is what that was. I mean, I would think that on the surface, you know, I or many people would say, I don't really want to get into the situation where I'm hearing about medical problems, you know, because that's on the surface, that seems like what it is. But as you explain what what it is these people are able to share with you, and I'm sure it's completely therapeutic for them and helps them work through it mm. themselves. Um, what a gift it is for you to be able to to help them with that and share that with them. That's a pretty sweet moment. Yeah, we're all here for each other, Travis. You know, we are hardwired for connection. I enjoy solo travel, make no bones about it, but I don't want to be five weeks and never see a human being. (laughs) You know, I, I enjoy the connection and we're all here for each other. That's what we're here for. Well, absolutely. Well, I'm going to have to check out your book. I haven't yet, but, uh, it sounds like it's full of inspiration for those of us who are, uh, just getting through our, our daily lives and trying to get the important things nailed down. Mm. Um, we lose sight of the, of the important things. So tell me about your new book you're working on. Oh, fear. Yeah. Well, um, what I'm learning, I mean, we all face fear. And the, the question that I'm most often asked, which you asked, is, aren't you afraid? I mean, you didn't ask it in that way. But people always want to know, what's my take on fear? Because I, you know, because I do something, first of all, not everybody would feel comfortable riding motorcycles. Secondly, as a woman. Thirdly, solo. So I've got this trifecta of, you know, risky behavior in some people's minds. Sure. And so I'm always asked. That's the most frequent question I'm I'm asked. Not where's the most beautiful place you've been or, you know, anything like that. It's always, aren't you afraid? And so I I decided to to take on fear. And what I've learned is that psychologists tell us that there are every fear you can possibly come up with um, is is boils down to only one of five. So at one end of the spectrum, there's humiliation. At the other end of the spectrum is death. So humiliation is purely psychological. Death is purely physical. So between them is a bunch of you know moving from you know white to black, if you will, you know, there's all these shades of gray. So you go humiliation, separation, loss of autonomy, mutilation, and death. So if I were to tell you a story and, and 12 other people were in the room, if I would, were to tell you a, you know, a, a scary story from my travels, for example, um, I, I, and I were, were to ask you to categorize the fear you were feeling on my behalf as one of those five, humiliation, separation, um, uh, loss of autonomy, mutilation, or death, all 12 people might have categorized it, let's say mutilation. Okay, let's say all 12 people categorized it that way. But each of the 12 people would have a different reason behind that because fear, You, each of us has our own history with fear, our own response with fear, and it's, it's, it's that journey that I want to invite people to go into. Now, now, the other option, of course, is that all 12 people, you know, would run the, the spectrum of, you know, all five of those fears. You know, they'd be, you know, dispersed between the five, but, which is fine. But what I'm learning is that we tend toward one or two of these, resp- of these fear categories. So... Um, some people might always tend toward the, you know, the, the purely physical, the death and dismemberment side. And other people might, might tend toward the, you know, the more emotional side. And when you, when you start to understand your history with fear and your journey with fear, then you can start to harness the message that it has for you in your life, because fear is a great messenger. It's designed to get your attention and get you to make some changes. You know, um, sometimes the change is simply thinking something through in a better way so that then the prefrontal cortex of your brain can say to the, you know, 
the reptile brain, okay, we got this, settle down, right? But there's always a reason that you experience fear. And when you learn to work with it, your life will be much better. So that's what I'm exploring in this book. So I may want to interview some of your listeners, some of your, you know, former guests, um, as I, as I get going further into the anecdotes and such. Um, so if it's okay, put in the show notes that please, if you've got a, a story about, you know, a fearful situation or uh, maybe something that you, a question you have about fear, I would really love hearing from people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have uh, plenty of people that have faced fears, and some of them seem like they don't have any fear whatsoever, which is a little, <laughs> maybe well, a, a problem in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all have uh, different thresholds for sure. It's a healthy thing to have, yeah. as well, especially when you're on a motorcycle. Exactly. Otherwise, you just make bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those sound like two excellent books. Uh, can you tell the listeners where they can find them? Where are the best places to follow you, Tamela Rich? Oh, well, it's very easy. If you can spell my name, that's how you'll find me. T-A-M-E-L-A-R-I-C-H.com. So that's my website. And um, I'm on the social channels, uh, Twitter, at Tamela Rich, Facebook, Tamela Rich Author. Uh, those, are the, those are the main main places that, uh, you know, that I'm active. Um, and I do offer, if anyone's interested, um, I do offer what's called the daily getaway. The daily getaway is an email subscription. It's a photograph from my travels and an inspirational quote. That's it. Every day I've got a couple hundred people that have subscribed and every morning at four o'clock local time, You'll get an email with a photograph and an inspirational quote. Um, it's a really easy way to start your day off on the right foot. You can get that at my website. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to sign up for that myself. I think uh, as I write it down here, daily getaway. Daily getaway. I think everybody needs that inspiration. And as I was mentioning to you, the point of our podcast is to hopefully inspire people to to get out there and try some of these really cool things that they hear about on the show. So it only helps to have a little uh, tickler email in the morning to, <laughs> to do so as well. So that's cool. I will definitely put all of that stuff in the show notes Thank so you. people can come find you. Very good. So what's next? Mm. Um You've traveled a bunch of this country, just about every state. You have a few more to hit. Do you plan on hitting them? Do you plan on going to Europe or Central and South America, Africa? What's what's on your schedule, on your bucket on list? On my say? bucket list. Well, you know, it's funny. I I rarely watch TV, but yesterday my husband had the Tour de France on, and I was watching, you know, those hill climbs and those switchbacks, and I was thinking, oh man. <laughs> That's a great place to ride a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> so, so no doubt there are some wonderful places abroad. That I, I mean, the Stelvia Pass, and maybe I didn't pronounce that right, in, um, in Italy, in the Alps, I, I just drool over that picture. It's just, oh, I don't know how many miles it is. I have to look it up. But anyway, I've seen so many photographs of it and the Dolomites and, you know, all these wonderful places. So, of course, I'd like to go there. But what I'm going to do, uh, I don't have it scheduled yet, but I have this strange donut hole in my travels in Oklahoma. I've been in every state surrounding Oklahoma. Oklahoma is my remaining, it's my 48th state on my bike. I've traveled, I've traveled everywhere except Alaska, traveled, traveled, but as far as on my bike, um, Oklahoma is the place that I'm missing. And, um, what I'm going to do is I do enjoy history as we've discussed and president Andrew Jackson was born, um, in the County adjoining the one that I live in. He was born, um, and the, they don't know the exact, you know, geological spot, but it's somewhere about 20 miles from me. And, um, we have in Cherokee, North Carolina, we have the eastern band of the Cherokees and the tie together of Oklahoma, Andrew Jackson and Cherokee, North Carolina is that Andrew Jackson is responsible for the Trail of Tears. And that's why the Cherokees have their um, have a large reservation 
in Oklahoma, um, the eastern band of the Cherokees in Cherokee, North Carolina, where I just was last weekend, uh, or last week working on my book, um, they resisted uh, the Trail of Tears. And so they're still here in North Carolina. So I've got this historical connection to, um, you know, a, a a tragic a tragic time in our in our nation's history and i'd like to um explore the trail of tears between here and and oklahoma there were several trails that people took um I, i'm very likely to write a memoir about that experience or at least a short book or something um i think it's compelling and you know especially in this time when um ethnic uh ethnic issues and you know, diversity and so on are are so with us in the news cycle, and and um, you know, I I want to explore some of the roots of of these these troubles, these strifes, um, right. you know, on the road, and so the Trail of Tears is is my first foray into that. Uh, I think that sounds like a great idea. That would make a, a fantastic trip in, uh, in areas, again, another area that's so uh, steeped in history mm. that there's just, you, you could spend a lifetime learning about it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, certainly if you're down, get down to Oklahoma, you have to get up into the Ozarks. What a what a beautiful place oh, that is to ride. Oh, that the truth? Uh, yeah, I have not fully explored the Ozarks. I mean, well, 3.8 million square miles. We there's There's plenty to explore, right? <laughs> you got plenty, plenty more to go, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's what's cool. next for me. What's next for you? Oh, you know, the problem with doing this podcast is my bucket list has grown longer than my pen had ink for. Uh-huh. And we're not even close. So, I mean, it's everything. You know, you talk about the Dolomites and, and riding over in uh, in the Alps in Europe. Um, I my wife does not ride motorcycles, but I keep telling her when the kids are out, we're we're going over there. I don't care if we have to rent a motorcycle. You don't have to spend the entire time on the trip riding. Give me a few days. We can go out together. Maybe I'll go out a little bit by myself, but I have to ride over there. It just looks absolutely amazing. So that is definitely big on my bucket list. Alaska. I still have to Mm -hmm. hit Alaska. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, down through Central and South America, I've read many a book about about those trips. And every time I I read one, I just I drool at the thought. Now, can you speak Spanish? No, I'm going to have to learn really quickly. Yeah, me too. I'm going to have to do the Rosetta <laughs> Stone or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, although I, I haven't used uh, Google Translate, that's a, an app that I'm hearing right. that people can at least make their way to the bathroom or you know yeah. order order food with. So. I haven't tried it, but um, technology is our friend, I think, in this regard. Well, absolutely. Well, I figured as long as I have Banyo and uh, and uh, and uh, Chili Reno, there you go. Then I, I'll survive at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to wrap the episode up, can you give me just a great story to end up with? Oh, I, I yeah, I, I love this one. Um, I was I pulled into a gas station in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Um, let me think. It was in Hill City, Kansas, which you wouldn't know where that is. It's just in the middle of nowhere. No, I don't. Um, a dot on the map. Anyway, I pulled over for gas. I was on my way to Nicodemus National Monument, and I wanted to make it before the end of the day. You know, I like to take my time traveling, but sometimes you just got to be somewhere. And this was one of those times I had to, you know, I had to be there. So pulled in for gas. And just as we've discussed, you know, I like to engage locals. I like to find local restaurants that are owned by, you know, local people who chop the vegetables themselves and, you know, serve it on real plates. And so I saw this guy cutting across the uh, tarmac there at the uh, gas station. He was carrying a couple of shopping bags. I, I thought he must be a local. So I said, hey, I said, I'm just passing through. I want to grab a bite to eat. I have to be about, you know, my or an hour up the road here. But, you know, I asked him where would he recommend that I have grab a bite to eat. And he said, I don't know. He said, I'm, I'm just passing through myself. I just went up to the grocery store. I'm walking over to my motel, going to, you know, stop for the night. I said, oh, tell me about your travels. Turns out he was a fry cook from... Massachusetts 
He got a diagnosis of macular degeneration. He quit his job. He flew out to Seattle where his brother was getting married. And he decided he was going to walk home and see America before he went blind. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that great? Wow, Isn't that's that profound. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, I and I and I was just like, oh my God, I, I want to talk to this guy, but I was so torn because I had to be where I had to be. And so I asked him, I mean, I, you know, I asked him several, I mean, I thought I was, you know, doing something. Here's a guy who's walking. And mind you, he's gone from Seattle to Kansas on foot. And so I was just asking him about like how he was doing it and what kind of gear he had. He said, gear. I said, yeah, like what kind of shoes you've been wearing? <laughs> he said, oh, he, he said, just pointed down to, down, down to the ground. He said, I just, I picked these up for $15 at the, at the Walmart. They're working just fine for me. He said, yeah, I get shoes every state, <laughs> <laughs> whatever I can find. I'm sure. I mean, he was just like, he was just. Now here's a guy who's going to lose his vision. And is he lamenting it? No, he's taking action. He's walking wow. across America while he can still see it. Wow. Love that. Good for him. Yeah. What an amazing story. Love that. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Thanks for right. letting me share the hour with you. It's been a joy. It was my pleasure. I was honored to. And I want to say next time you're out in Colorado, and I'm sure you'll get out here, so no excuses. No excuses. I want you to look me up. I would be honored to to take a day ride with you. And, uh, oh, that'd be great. Yes, yeah, please. Spend a day sharing some of these stories. I'd love to. And, and I'd love to meet your wife and kids. Great. Sounds good. All right. Thank you very much, Tamela. Thank Tamalo. you, Travis. See ya. All right. Bye. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.